a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you've joined me on the program today. I am uh, a little late getting started. You probably won't notice anything in terms of the uh, show being posted here, but I had to wait uh, to start the uh, program today and recording it um, until the House had cast its votes on the pair of gun control bills backed by uh, President Joe Biden. H.R. 8, the uh, so-called universal background check bill. Uh, H.R. 1446, uh, the uh, expanded background check uh, bill, which would extend the time period that the FBI can uh, process a background check from three days to really an indefinite period of time, at least 10 business days. Uh, And after that, the seller of the farm would have to petition the federal government to release that gun, government under no obligation to uh, allow that to happen. Uh, and so I thought today we could talk about uh, what's going on with these bills now that they pass out of the House, prospects in the Senate. Uh, but also I want to, I, I, you know, I watched the debate over these two pieces of legislation and there was only an hour of debate allowed for each bill, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and it was mostly as you would have expected. Uh, Democrats were proclaiming that uh, these bills were going to save lives, that they're going to stop criminals from getting a hold of guns, that uh, you know public safety is going to benefit. No drawbacks whatsoever. Doesn't infringe on anybody's Second Amendment rights, according to these Democrats. Uh, nope. In fact, the only reason why you would be opposed to these measures, according to the uh, folks who voted for it, is if you're in the back pocket of the gun lobby or something like that. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Republicans basically couched their opposition uh, in terms of the Second Amendment, uh, viewing this as an attack on the right to keep and bear arms, bills that are targeted at legal gun owners, which is absolutely the case. However, I, I, I wish that, and maybe this is just me, but I wish that I had heard more specific criticisms of this proposal. Uh, because I, I worry that those who now I don't know how many Americans were tuning into C-SPAN on Wednesday evening, to be uh, perfectly honest with you. Uh, but for those who were, you know, the the argument was basically, uh, again, from Democrats, this is common sense gun safety. And from Republicans, this is an attack on our Second Amendment rights. Well, it's not common sense gun safety legislation. Neither of these bills are. And I wish that I would have heard more about critiquing the actual language of these proposals. Yes, these proposals are an attack on our Second Amendment rights. Yes, the folks who voted for this also, in many cases, would like to vote in favor of banning modern sporting rifles, banning magazines that could hold more than 10 rounds, requiring individual gun owners to get some sort of federal gun license, or at least, uh, you know, dole out billions of dollars in grants to states so they can set up restrictive licensing regimes of their own. I get all of that, and I understand that argument. But there are specific problems with these pieces of legislation. And we did hear some members of Congress talk about this. Uh, Representative Andrew Clyde, who's been a guest on this program before, uh, he is a gun store owner from Georgia. Uh, He talked about specifically H.R. 1446 uh, and the fact that, again, if you are a legal, let's say you're, you're, you're legally eligible to buy a gun. You go to the gun store, maybe you've got a common name. For whatever reason, it comes back denied, not denied, but delayed. Okay. Right now, again, the FBI has three business days to conduct additional background check information. They can figure out, okay, is this person prohibited or not? 
And after three days have passed, if the FBI hasn't gotten back to the gun seller, the gun seller can, if they choose to, uh, proceed with that sale. Well, Clyde says, look, this is going to extend it out to 10 business days. And I can tell you right now, as a gun store owner, I've dealt with this over the past year, where all of a sudden offices close. And now they're not open. So does that count as a business day? I mean, he suggested that, you know, some folks who, again, are legally eligible to buy a firearm could have to wait weeks in order for the FBI to finally come back and say, yeah, OK, you're good to go. Sorry about the, uh, the delay. What happens to those folks in the meantime? You know, some of us may purchase a firearm because we've decided that we want to exercise our Second Amendment rights. Just, you know, it, it's, it's our decision to do so. Or maybe we see headlines in the news and, boy, you know, things are getting really kind of sketchy out there. I, I want a gun to be able to protect myself. But there are other folks who really need a gun at that moment in time, right? They are concerned. There are threats against their life. They uh, want to be able to protect themselves and their family. And now they're twiddling their thumbs, right? Waiting for the government to conduct these background checks. Again, a three-day business period, uh, I think, is long enough. Uh, But the proposal under H.R. 1446, extending this out again indefinitely, would uh, have a grave impact on those folks who are legally eligible to purchase a firearm. Now, you combine H.R. 1446 with H.R. 8, the uh, so-called universal background check requirement, and again, that person who needs a firearm, who is in fear of their life, they can't get a gun from the gun store because they've got a common name, so the FBI's, you know, we've got to make sure that you're, you're not prohibited. Okay, they also can't get a gun from a friend. They can't get a gun from their neighbor. They can't get a gun from a family member, unless perhaps it's an immediate family member, right? Mom, dad, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, that might be allowed under federal law. Your cousin? Mm -mm, Not allowed. Not unless there is an imminent threat to your life. Are you allowed to take possession of that firearm, even temporarily, without first going through a background check? So what do you tell those people? What do Democrats tell those people? Sorry. Um, You know, maybe you shouldn't have a gun in the first place. I mean, that would probably be their answer. But it's not going to be of much uh, uh, help to the person who is faced with the prospect of an abusive ex essentially coming over to their house and trying to do them harm that night. Under the terms of H.R. 8, again, you would have to wait until basically that person was at the front door trying to break in before you could loan your neighbor a gun. And as soon as the imminent threat had ceased, the neighbor would have to return that firearm to you, or else, again, you both would be breaking the law. I I think that's screwy. And we know that, again, that criminals are not going to pay any attention to this law any more than they're currently paying attention to the background check laws that are on the books right now. (coughs) Excuse me. Criminals are not... By their very nature, they're not law-abiding. And there is no way that H.R. 1446 and H.R. 8, even taken in conjunction together, there is no way that either of these pieces of legislation will actually stop or prevent a single illicit firearms transaction from occurring. And I was so disappointed that that was not hammered home uh, during the debate on Wednesday that this bill does not do what Democrats say it does. 
I'm sorry, these bills do not do what Democrats say they do. Yet Eric Swalwell, this is going to stop dangerous people from getting a hold of guns. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because they're not going to pay attention to this law to begin with. They're going to continue to get their guns through illegal means. And this bill won't prevent a single one of those illegal transactions from taking place. Now, obviously, from a Second Amendment perspective, I'm really bothered by both of these bills because they are aimed squarely at legal gun owners. And again, you could face up to a year in federal prison for loaning your neighbor a gun because she's worried that her ex is going to show up tonight. You could get a year in federal prison for loaning your neighbor a hunting rifle so they can go on a hunting trip out west for a couple of weeks. Unless, again, you find a FFL that's willing to conduct a private transfer of a firearm. And, of course, you pay the fee both ways, by the way, when the firearm is transferred and when it's returned to you. Background checks are required. Fees must be paid. And again, <laughs> these, are, these, are, these are the legal gun owners who are expected to abide by this. The violent criminals will just simply ignore it. And the end result is that this does nothing for public safety. So, yeah, I'm bothered, extremely bothered, by the attack on our right to keep and bear arms. But I'm also bothered by the lies that were told by supporters of these bills to good people living in bad neighborhoods who have been promised now an extra measure of safety and security that will not come to pass. There are, I believe, things that uh, Congress could be working on right now. That, that could genuinely get bipartisan support because they would not attack the right to keep and bear arms and they would be effective at preventing violent crime. There are programs out there. Project Ceasefire uh, is one of them. I've talked about this on several occasions here on the program. Uh, if you wanted to look specifically at, at, at background checks and um, making the current NIC system work better, I think there are ways to do that, too. Uh, the group Open Source Defense published a piece about a year ago talking about a, a way that you could revamp the NIC system so that private gun sellers like you or I could actually have a way to check the status of an individual um, without setting up some sort of government you know, backdoor registry of firearms or things of that nature. And it'd be pretty easy to do. Uh, basically, the way this system would work is if, if you are wanting to buy a gun, whether it's from a private seller or not, you call the NICS system and you run the background check on yourself and you get a code from the NICS system. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then when you go either to a gun store or to a private seller, they, uh, again, the retailer could uh, run that code through the NICS system. Uh, and a private seller, if they didn't know who you were, they wanted that extra layer of security, they also could contact Nick's. And they could say, all right, I, you know, uh, yeah, I'm wanting to transfer a firearm. The, uh, the code is a one, two, three, four, five, six. And then the Nick system would come back and say, yep, they're good to go. Or nope, they're denied. Or, yeah, well, you got to wait a little bit. The firearm itself never gets mentioned. You're dealing specifically with the individual. So that would, again, that would alleviate concerns about a backdoor gun registry. 
Um, I would not require that private sellers do this because, again, I don't think that there's any way to actually enforce that mandate proactively. Uh, but it would be a real tool that a lot of gun owners would use if they're selling a farm to somebody that they don't know. Uh, this is something that, you know, I think should have been at least debated, at least brought to the floor. But it wasn't. Instead, again, the current system, they're going to make more burdensome on legal gun sellers and legal gun buyers. They're going to impose criminal penalties for common transfers of firearms. And they're going to do so in such a way that it really is completely unenforceable in terms of preventing the types of illicit firearms transactions that they say they're concerned about. These bills, again, do nothing to stop illicit transfers of firearms. Nothing. Not a thing. So there are a lot of reasons to be uh, bothered by these bills. Again, if you're a Second Amendment supporter, you have just seen an attack on your right to keep and bear arms. You've seen you scapegoated for the actions of violent criminals and the failures of government, by the way, in uh, utilizing the existing resources of the system. Uh, and if even if you're not a gun owner, even if you're not a huge Second Amendment supporter, you've been lied to because you've been offered empty promises of increased safety and security, and you're not going to get it because the criminals are going to utterly ignore what Congress did today. Uh, now, as for what the Senate might do, well, that I think is a uh, an open question here. You know, 60 votes... Right? That's what's needed to pass legislation in the Senate, at least for the moment. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of pressure put on Joe Manchin to, uh, to, to bend his own rule here and to figure out a way to try to get background checks passed with just 51 votes. Joe Manchin, you know, uh, uh, co-authored the Manchin-Toomey background check bill, along with Republican Senator Pat Toomey, uh, several years ago. Now, that bill did not actually uh, go as far as HRA. Uh, it did not touch... Most private transactions of firearms, only those conducted uh, at a gun store. Um, HR8 goes much further, but I suspect that uh, Senator Manchin is still on board with the idea. Uh, you know, he again, he might want to offer a tweak or two to the uh, legislation that passed out of the House, but, but Manchin has been in favor of expanding background checks. So the question then becomes, is he willing to go around his own rule that, uh, you know, the filibuster will remain in place, 60 votes are, are, are necessary and a good thing in the Senate. Uh, or now that this is something that he's in favor of, will he figure out a way uh, to work with Democrats, his fellow Democrats, uh, and to pass this with 51 votes via reconciliation, perhaps, or uh, trying to attach this language to uh, a must-pass uh, budget bill, something like that? Um, I, I, I think, again, that's very much an open question, but the pressure is going to be uh, enormous uh, from Manchin's colleagues, not only in the Senate, but in the House as well. Uh, I think we have to hope, and I would strongly encourage any West Virginian who is watching today, uh, that pressure is also applied from back home and that uh, West Virginians contact Senator Manchin, uh, urge him not only to uh, remain strong in the filibuster, uh, but urge him to, again, reject these bills that focus squarely on legal gun owners and ignore violent criminals. 
if Congress is truly concerned about public safety, that's where their priority needs to be. Not trying to restrict the rights of law-abiding Americans. And again, despite the assertions of Democrats that these bills don't violate or impact the Second Amendment rights of gun owners or those hoping to purchase a firearm. I think we've laid out exactly how and why these bills do have more of an impact on those who are eligible to exercise their Second Amendment rights than those uh, violent felons and uh, criminals who are not allowed under federal law to possess a firearm. All right, we are going to continue paying uh, very, very close attention to these bills as they um, head over to the Senate. Uh, you know, we'll see what kind of pressure uh, the Biden administration actually applies on the Senate to get this done. We know the gun control groups are going to be putting that pressure on as well. So, again, I think it is incumbent on every one of us as a Second Amendment supporters and gun owners to be in contact, not only with our uh, representatives, to thank them for uh, voting in opposition if they did so, but also, again, to ask some serious and civil questions about uh, why uh, your Congress critter was supporting this legislation. But again, we also need to be contacting our senators as well, uh, because that is where these bills are headed next and the uh, future for that legislation. Um, I, I think uh, I want to say it's yeah, I, no, I, I guess it is fair to say it's in doubt in the Senate. It is not a fait accompli that these bills are going to get through the Senate. We have the opportunity to stop them. But if we just sit on our hands and we sit on our couch and we don't use our voices and we don't contact our representatives, then, uh, yeah, that, I think, is going to give aid and comfort uh, to the enemies of the Second Amendment. All right. Uh, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our uh, recidivist report. We will start there, as a matter of fact, with a, a case out of San Francisco, actually uh, the Bay Area, Oakland, California where uh, KPIX reports a, a suspect who left a 75-year-old Asian victim on life support uh, after a uh, robbery and an assault uh, has a lengthy criminal history. Uh, according to uh, Katie Nielsen of KPIX, the uh, suspect in this case, 26 years old, uh, out on probation, described as having a, quote, long, violent criminal history. They say he was on probation at the time of this attack because he was charged with a similar violent attack and robbery Last June. Mm -hmm. uh, this is amazing. And there's actually a bill that's been introduced in California, Senate Bill 82, which is uh, been introduced by State Senator Nancy Skinner, that would only allow charges of petty theft in case of a robbery where no one's injured and no weapons are used. So if it's a strong arm robbery, if it's an assault, but, you know, the injuries that you receive aren't severe enough, uh, then they'd only be allowed to uh, charge the criminal with petty theft, even if you were a robbery victim. Uh, as you can imagine, a lot of residents in Oakland's Chinatown who have been the victims of violent crime in recent months say that they are uh, worried that this would actually lead to an increase uh, in robberies against the elderly. But this is California for you. Uh, our armed citizen story from the Lone Star state of Texas, where uh, police say that uh, two people were killed when they tried to rob a person in North Harris County, and that robbery victim fought back. This happened uh, 2.45 uh, or so Wednesday afternoon uh, in the uh, north section of uh, Harris County. According to uh, Harris County Sheriff Ed Gonzalez, the person was eating lunch in his car when two other people walked up and tried to rob him. Uh, that is when, again, the victim pulled out a gun of his own, shot the two people. A person then jumped out of his car, fled the scene, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, yeah, fled the scene in the car, believed to be driven by the two people attempting to rob him. Uh, so he got out of his car 
and ended up taking the robbery suspect's vehicle, speeding away. He said uh, Gonzalez did that. The person later returned is cooperative. Investigators uh, don't know if this uh, individual is, uh, you know, a concealed carry holder at this point, but we do know that he is uh, alive today, uh, thanks in part to his firearm. And speaking of uh, life-saving events, uh, how about this? Today's good deed of the day from Bakersfield, California, where a police officer says he was uh, just doing what he needed to do, uh, saving a life in his own backyard. Uh, Lieutenant Christopher Knudsen uh, was uh, off duty uh, last Wednesday morning. He said, I heard a bunch of banging on my front door, ringing the doorbell frantically. So I run over there to my front door, and I open the door, and it's one of the landscapers. And he tells me, mi amigo, mi amigo in the pool. And so immediately, he says, my heart just drops. Uh, he ran outside uh, to the pool in the backyard, jumped over the safety fence, dove in after the landscaper, still had his leaf blower attached to his body, uh, was uh, there at the bottom of the pool. He said he's face up at the bottom of the pool, eyes wide open. I can tell he's not moving. He's no longer in distress. So I'm thinking the worst at this point. Uh, Lieutenant Newton said, I got the leaf blower off his back. I swim up to the top, push him up to the top of the deck, climb out, check him. He's not breathing. There's no pulse. So I immediately start CPR. Uh, and he was able to resuscitate the landscaper. He says, quote, now he's doing great. I actually spoke to his brother-in-law a couple of days ago, uh, and he is doing great. That is uh, amazing. Actually, he's already back to work less than a week after uh, nearly drowning. So in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Uh, Lieutenant Knudsen there in uh, Bakersfield, California. We certainly do appreciate your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We will be uh, back on Monday with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. But in the meantime, I would strongly encourage you, A, uh, to uh, to write your uh, representatives about H.R. 8 and H.R. 1446. If they voted against these bills, give them a thumbs up. If they voted for these bills, I would love for you to be polite, be civil, don't be a jackass. But just ask them, how exactly... Will either of these proposals prevent any criminal from illicitly obtaining a firearm on the black market? I don't think they can answer that question. And uh might be a good idea to write your senators, too, since that's where the uh, bills are headed next. All right. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media at YouTube. That way you'll never miss a program. Also, Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Rumble or Bearing Arms Cam and Company on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, townhall.com's podcast page. Have a great Friday and a good uh, weekend. We'll be back again on Monday. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.